We'll be in Second uh, Corinthians chapter eleven this morning. Um, uh, while, we, while you're turning there, I want you to, and just in your mind, I want you to go back and think about uh, the day you were wed. Think about your wedding day if you've if you've uh, been married. Um, I want you to think about the day you were baptized into Christ. The day, whatever that day was, when you said, "I'm going to make this decision, and I'm going to give my life to Christ." And if you had known what was ahead. Uh, back then, when when maybe a preacher stood in front of you and, and said words like, uh, do you promise to love one another, to keep one another in sickness and in health and prosperity and adversity through good times and bad times, whatever's ahead, do you promise to hold these hands and be there for one another through all of this? Do you promise to keep one another? And, and, and that can be difficult for some people to remember those vows and to look back at that time. In fact, whenever I do a, a wedding ceremony, I always keep everyone's vows right there on my computer. I keep the file so sometimes I can bring it up and say, this is what we talked about, man. This is, this is the promise we made, you know? And, and that's what happened in Christ, you know, when, when, when you decided to give your life to Christ. I'm curious how old you were. Um, man, there's there's some people, man, I'm, I'm excited this morning. Um, Jake Chandler is going to give his life to Christ this morning. In just a minute, we're going to baptize Jake into Christ. All right? Yeah. I'm, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm not saying this just to be cheesy. You know how much I love soccer. There's some sort of game happening right now. And I don't even care right now. I mean, when someone says they want to give their life to Christ, it's like, I don't even care about this soccer game right now. Uh, that's what is so beautiful to me. And I think about that. And I think about whatever age you were, man. You're nine years old. You're 20 years old. You're 30 years old. And you're like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm giving my life to at camp, man. That's what I love about these camps. When we're there, you saw the fun. You saw the joy. But, man, sometimes you don't pick up in a slideshow some of these crazy prayers and these things that are happening in teens' lives where they're saying, right now, I'm giving my life to Christ. This is what's happening. And I'm excited. But at the same time, some of us who've been in Christ a while, man, you're, you're lifting up a different kind of prayer because you know what's ahead and you know what has challenged your own faith in your own life. If you had only known those times when you would stop and think, I don't think God is listening to me at all. I'm not even sure God exists anymore. I have so much anger and so much hatred and so much division and so much corruption in my heart. I don't even know what happened to that faith I used to have. And I want so bad to get it back. I want so bad to get the joy of my youth back and so much to get the devotion of my youth back. And this is, this is what Paul is doing with his kids. And I want you to think about what you would do, especially parents. What would you do for the faith of your child? You know, I, I loved growing up in Texas, the, the one thing that guys will sit around the campfire, or sit around the grill and talk about is what you're going to do if somebody breaks in your house. That's how good old boys talk. And, and, and we, we love to talk about, man, no one's going to come around here. No one's going and, and, and we love to talk about physically protecting. But the same people, and sometimes I bring that up with my friends, I say, the same people that sit here and talk about their guns and talk about how they're going to protect their family, they are going to let all kinds of junk come in through their TV. And they're going to let all kinds of junk come in through their computer. And they're going to let all kinds of back doors into their house because they're too busy guarding the front door. You know what I'm saying? This is what ends up happening. 
And we don't recognize how the enemy actually works, how he's actually going to come in, how he's actually going to threaten us. And this is Paul writing 2 Corinthians. And at this point in the letter, once we get to chapter 10 and we're moving on into chapter 11 and, 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 and this, man, you see a whole different side to Paul. Uh, I always think it's sort of just a side note, but I always think it's funny when critical scholars, critical scholars are the ones that say nobody wrote what you think they wrote in the Bible, and they say no book was written by who you think it was written by. But they always challenge Paul's letters, and whether it's Hebrews or whether it's Galatians or Second Timothy or Thessalonians, everything is challenged because they say, well, the Greek is different, and the, and the syntax is different, and this is different, and they forget that we write letters differently. You, if you look at my text messages, they're different, very different from my postcards, and they're very different from my letters to family, which are very different from my letters to other people, which are very different from studies that I would write. You write differently for different occasions. Paul loses it here. He loses it. You see so much emotion and just, it's one of those things where you're about to send the email and emotion takes over and you have no clue what you're about to say and you just say what's on your mind. This is what happens at this point in 2 Corinthians. Just watch how he starts this chapter. I hope you'll put up with a little bit of my foolishness, but you're already doing that. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What I love that Paul does in this letter, because this is all about different types of divisions. In First and Second Corinthians, this is the big topic. You have three types of divisions. So hang with me because today's message is short. You have three types of divisions. You have this one over here that is basically, um, you offended me. You wronged me. You sinned against me. How do I handle this relationship? The second relationship is this. I'm jealous of you. Okay? We have jealousy between us. I don't like what you're, the people lift you up. They don't lift me up. So I don't like you. This is actually a major one that's happening in Corinth. He talks about it a lot in 1 Corinthians. And the third type of division is this. There are people that are just simply cancer. This is corrupt. This is wrong. This is sick. This is deadly. And this is dangerous. We don't like to talk about this third one. But unfortunately, that's exactly where the last part of this letter goes. What do I do with this person over here? And so 2 Corinthians is going to talk about these three areas. And how do I address these in my life? How do I handle these so that Satan doesn't get a foothold in my life and in my ministry? In Paul's letters, this, well, this is how Satan is described in the New Testament. You're going to be familiar with some of these. A roaring lion, a great dragon, a cunning serpent. He masquerades as an angel of light, it's going to say in this chapter. He deceived Eve. He incited God against Job, it says in Job 2. He incited David. The word incite is used with Satan quite a bit. He accused Joshua in Zechariah 3. He prompted Judas. He asked to sift Peter like wheat. Did you know that in every single example throughout the Bible, when it shows Satan's hidden actions that are behind the scenes, in every single example, the purpose was to deceive and divide. 
On every single example, the purpose is to divide. I'm going to separate Job from God. I'm going to separate Judas from Christ. From Christ, I'm going to separate Peter from Christ. I'm going to separate. He always wants to stand in between and divide and to separate, beginning with Eve. This is what he's doing. And so Paul recognizes his activity in the church, and he says, what's happening here is not the work of man. What's happening here is the work of Satan. It says this, he schemes in Ephesians 6. He entraps in 1 Timothy. He takes away the word from our hearts. That's what it says in Luke 8, 12, that the role of Satan is to snatch the word from your heart. He sows weeds in God's field in Matthew 13. He leads the whole world astray in Revelation. And it says in Hebrews 2, 14, that he holds the power of death. And he just recognizes that all this activity, this is who the real enemy is. This is what's really going on. Um, And so he goes on and he says this, because he's addressing his activity through these particular people. And they're called the super apostles. So these last few chapters are going to address this group of people that are called the super apostles. Now I want to talk about who they were and kind of dispel some notions about what what some people say about who they are. Um, So I'll get to that in a second. But verse 4 says this. So if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached... Or if you receive a, a different gospel than the one you received, a spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. But I don't think I'm in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. We've made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Now, this is where Paul's uncomfortable. In these next few chapters, he's going to start boasting. And you're going to get uncomfortable with what Paul says about himself. Listen, I'm not inferior to those people. I, I, I'm a Hebrew too. I'm a, he, he's going to go through his entire, uh, the, the glories he's received, the shames he's received, the pains he's gone through. And he's going to build himself up. And he hates doing it because he keeps saying, I'm acting and I'm talking like a fool right now. And you drove me to it and I have to do it because this is what impresses you. And so I'm going to act like a fool, just like they're acting a fool, so I can bring you to what Christ wants me to say to you. And so that's a whole lot of what he's going to do in these coming chapters. It'll make sense more as as we go through this, why he has to do that. But what I want to do is address these apostles and why they're called apostles. I was surprised at a lot of commentaries I read. Um, very A good number of people really think that these could be Peter, Andrew, James, John, apostles. That, you know, he had differences with with uh, uh, Peter in, in Galatians. It talks about his difference with, with Peter in, in chapter 2. He had, he had hang-ups with some of them sometimes. It actually says that um, uh, he had hang- followings out with Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10, with Peter in Galatians 2, with Mark in Acts 15.37. He also mentions Phygelus and Hermogenes in 2 Timothy 1. So Paul did have differences with people. And I bet some of you have been around the church for a while. At some point, you've had a difference, a disagreement. Something has come up between you and a brother in Christ. And you still acknowledge this person's man. I know they're a brother in Christ, but please don't make me have lunch with them. Just don't let me hang out. I don't need to hang out with this person, but I acknowledge they'll probably be up there with me. I grant that, but don't, I don't want to be friends. I bet that's happened with you in the church. You know, it's happened to me a lot of times. And this is what he's going to do with that. Uh, Well, I'll get to that in a second. But what I want to do is make sure we understand that is not who these super apostles are. 
He says this about them. They worship a different Jesus. They put out a different gospel. They give you a different spirit. They are masquerading. He even calls them tools of Satan in the church. Something that is happening that is cancer to the body and and is cancer to our teaching and cancer to our doctrine. And that is what he's addressing uh, in this. In the New Testament, there are at least 25 people who are called apostles. So when we use the word apostle, we're not talking about Peter, Andrew, James, John, so forth. We're not talking about the 12. Um, just to give you a list of a, a few people that are called apostles in the, in the Bible, James is uh, the half-brother of Jesus, called an apostle in Galatians 1. Barnabas is called an apostle in Acts 14. Um, Paul, of course, is called an apostle. Apollos is called an apostle in 1 Corinthians 4. Timothy and Silvanus are called apostles. Epaphroditus is called an apostle. Um, Andronicus and Junior are called apostles in Romans 16. Even Jesus in Hebrews chapter 13 is called an apostle. The word apostle just meant someone who's sent, someone who carries authority, somebody who's walking among the body. And so this group of people that has come in are carrying weight. They're carrying authority. They're carrying respect. And they're moving the church somewhere. And Paul has to step in and say, it's not jealousy that's at work here. It's not differences that are at work here. What they're teaching and what they're bringing the church to is death. They're masquerading as apostles of light, and he has to step in and put his own, his own, his self on the line uh, between this uh, this group of imposters. He's going to call them and his children uh, in faith. I want you to think about that. You know, I just um, these three different groups of people in your life right now, because this is what he's going to do in Corinthians. He's going to start out the book in 2 Corinthians by addressing this brother who has sinned. And he said, this person has repented. They want to come back. You need to find forgiveness in your heart. And he actually uses this language in chapter 2. I have forgiven him. And what I've forgiven him, I ask you to forgive him in order that Satan might not outwit us because we're not ignorant of his schemes. And so he shows this. You need to forgive because you need to recognize Satan's work in trying to divide the body, you and brothers in Christ. And I know what you're thinking right now, because whenever I talk about forgiveness, some of you get really uncomfortable because you're thinking, you don't know my situation. I'm not talking about somebody who spilled coffee on my shirt, man. I'm not talking about somebody. I'm not I'm talking about somebody who seriously has damaged my family and people I love and things have happened and I have problems, all right? This is the kind of forgiveness I'm talking about. And then you're thinking this. You're thinking, but what if they don't repent? Do I need to forgive somebody that doesn't repent? I've heard that question so many times. And I don't know what your answer to that is. But when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, The people crucifying him were not in the process of repenting. All right? He said, forgive them. And if you are waiting for somebody to repent to forgive them, you know you're going to wait a long time. And you also know this. You are not being the bigger person. You're waiting for them to be the bigger person. You you forgive somebody even when they don't repent. That is is something even the world is doing. And the church better practice it. Forgiveness. That is a difficult message. It gets some of you angry. I know that. 
But listen, man, this is exactly what protects us from Satan and what his work is in our lives. The beauty and the power that there is in forgiveness. So that's this first relationship over here. And that's 2 Corinthians 1. We talked about that. This next thing he's going to do is he's going to talk about this other relationship that's happening. And this is a lot of 1 Corinthians, and he touches on it through chapters 2 through 5, is this idea of somebody that there is pride. I wonder if you're in a situation right now. One time I was hired at a church to be a, a minister, and the guy they didn't give the job to went to church with me. And his kids were in my youth group, and, his, and, and I was, do you think I ever found favor in his eyes? Could I ever do anything right? Man, one time I got in trouble because one of my girls started a song. Because, I mean, they got upset. Jealousy blinds you, doesn't it? I, I use that example because I don't like to use myself as a negative example. But I've been guilty of that way more than it's happened to me where jealousy has blinded me. You're at work. Somebody is in the job you wish you had. And you can't say a kind thing about that person at all. That's all you can see is they are where I should be. Or you're in the position and somebody hates you because they want your job. Man, look at everybody's head nodding right now. Somebody hates you because they want your job. Somebody comes in and you're like, oh man, they're, they're never going to see me through the light. Because that's how it is. And he recognizes that in the church, in 1 Corinthians especially, and he says, stop it. Just stop it. Do you understand how far you have come from the humility and gratitude of being in Christ? We need to push towards unity. And so these two relationships, he's going to say, forgive, forget yourself. And then this third one, he's going to say, ah, but now we're talking about relationships that are absolute cancer. Be careful about who you designate as this in your life. Be careful. Don't try to cheat and say that this person that I'm jealous of is actually cancer. I know that's what we want to do in our minds. That's not fair. This, this group of people that comes in that is hurting the faith, that is drawing people from Christ, is clear and it is evident in Paul's writings. And he says, this is something that you need to withdraw from. You need to have nothing to do with it. You need to cut it out of your life because it will kill and it will destroy faith. You need to distinguish who these different things are in your life. Uh, I can't wait to do this again, but man, for a while I had a hobby, uh, taking care of a saltwater aquarium. I loved to talk about it, but I loved it so much because I would sit there and I would actually pray. Man, I'd take notes and I'd think, God, what are you trying to show me? And I, all kinds of devotionals I wrote down because I was inspired by my saltwater aquarium. But I had a, a blue starfish, a red and white starfish. The blue starfish, his name was Marley because he looked like dreadlocks. My red and white starfish was called Darth Maul because he was creepy. I had shrimp. I had my uh, clownfish. I had my blue tang, my yellow tang. I can still see everybody. I know where their homes were. I loved my fish. I took care of my fish. Well, one day I realized fish started disappearing. Snails started disappearing. Shrimp started disappearing. I had a murderer inside of my aquarium. And I had a job to figure out who it was. And everybody acted so innocent when I was around. <laughs> and some of y'all that take care of fish know what I'm talking about. You're sitting here going, who, who's doing this? And I would try to spy. And I'm just like, who's, do you know who was doing it the whole time? And it took me weeks to figure it out. The starfish. And he, all he would do was just sit there. 
the red and white one. The, mm. And he would just sit there, and you're like, he can't be the culprit. All he does is sit there. He's not fast enough to kill anybody. But do you know how he started killing people? I started doing my research and find out, how is he doing this? When everybody's sleeping, when everybody's calm, all he does is creep. And he, he was creepy. But all he would do is creep and just get one tiny little, whatever you call their little sucker tentacle things, one, he would just get one on there. And once he had himself on, then he would consume and destroy, and that's what was happening. I had to get him out of my aquarium. I had to get rid of Maul, okay, because he was killing everybody. And I thought about that, and I thought about that illustration, the church, and, and kind of what Paul is working with here. You're looking around, and you're saying, man, what is it? What's going on? What's happening in the body and what's happening in people? What's destroying people and what's taking lives? And, you re- and, and Paul is looking around going, what's going on? And he's calling the church to be dis- discerning, to see these things. And he goes on and he says this. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel to, of God free of charge I robbed other churches, which you find out later is the Macedonian church is supporting Paul as a missionary here in Corinth. And he's doing this and he's pouring himself out. He's where he's giving himself. And he says this, I robbed other churches by receiving support for them so as to serve you. And when I was with you, I needed and needed something. I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. Supplied what I needed. I've kept myself from being a burden to you in any way. And I'll continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia, and that's where Corinth is, will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I don't love you? God knows I do. And I'll keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want opportunity to be considered equal with us and the things they boast about. And then he says this, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising, then, if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Um, Through all of this, Paul is just after one thing. He sees the pure devotion that these children of his had to Christ, and he sees what happened, what crept in your heart, what weed grew up inside of you that caused you to steer away from that. So this is how 2 Corinthians is outlined, and this is probably the best way to remember this book because we're starting to draw to a close here in our study of 2 Corinthians. Cultivating sincere and pure devotion would be the theme of 2 Corinthians through forgiveness, chapter 1 through selflessness. And you remember chapters 2 through 5 are the cool chapters where he says, uh, chapter 2, you are the aroma of Christ. Chapter 3, you're a letter from Christ. Chapter 4, you're a jar of clay. The light is inside of you and you're being poured out to the world. And chapter 5, you are tense. And that's all you are and you are ambassadors for Christ. He goes through a series of metaphors and they all say the same thing. Your life is not about you. It's not about you. It's about what is done through you. And so it's through selflessness. Then through chapter 6 through 7, through purity. And that's where he writes a lot about you need to come out from among them. Anything that's cancer in your life, you need to step away from. 
And then chapters 8 through 9, and this was my favorite because it puts it into context. Why, in the middle of 2 Corinthians, in this incredibly rich, amazing letter, does he stop for two chapters to talk about giving? And it looks out of place. And scholars actually think that 2 Corinthians is three different books. Chapters 1 through 7, 8 through 9, and then 10 through 13, three different books. I don't think they are because it makes sense what he's doing here. He's saying this, if I can get your focus off of you and get you to start giving and being and pouring yourself out for others, everything I'm doing is to try to cultivate sincerity, truth, purity in you. And you're going to do this through generosity. And then finally, in these closing chapters, through absolute intolerance. And when I say intolerance, what, what we mean by that is intolerance of anything that is not from God in my life. And so the same mentality that you have, and I'm talking to fathers right now, the same mentality that we have when we talk about uh, someone coming into my house and how I would step up and how I would feel if someone broke into my house and harmed my family. Uh, we get excited when we talk about that and we say, man, you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I, I, I could take on a, a, a beast if they tried to harm Melinda. I, I, nothing would scare me. I would step up. And I do feel that way. But, but we get that way when it's, we feel physically threatened. And I think we need to be more discerning when it comes to spiritual things in our kids' lives and in our lives. Things that come in to threaten them. And they're not always the obvious things. It's not always um, the things like uh, bad language, drugs, pornography. It's not always that. Sometimes it's something that can appear to be a very beautiful and healthy thing that comes into their life. Sports comes into your kid's life. That's exciting. I want my kid to be in shape, right? I want my kid to have a feeling of doing good. Now, what happens when all of a sudden I turn from having sports as something that is a part of my life and to sports being something that is my life? And now Christ is a part of my life. I've seen that happen with a lot of kids. A video game. It's something that you enjoy doing. It's something that was fun. It is no longer a part of your life. It is now your life. That's happening a lot right now. It's all of these things that step in that at first you think is just a small thing and all of a sudden it consumes you and it can be something like your job. It can be your work and it can be all of these things and all of a sudden Satan gets one small tentacle or whatever they're calling it. He gets one small thing on it and then all of a sudden it consumes you. Um, the reason 2 Corinthians has been to me the most personal, my favorite book of the Bible um, for so long is because there are two things I needed from this book in my life and continue to need. One is to stay genuine in my own faith, to stay real in my own faith, to not sell out in my own faith, to keep sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's super important to me, and I think that the letter is written like to me because of those things. But the next thing is because of what it means for the church today. Most of us have experienced throughout all of our lives a lot of us in this room, I would say the majority, grew up going to church. And we were taught how to do church by our elders. And we were taught by how to do church by our parents and by the older generations. And, all this. and I inherited a lot of healthy, good things. But I also saw things growing up that when I was young shocked me. 
And then when I got older, they became natural to me. And I became a part of them. The division and the hatred and the animosity that I saw in churches growing up shocked me when I was a kid. Then when I got older, I became a part of it. And it became natural to me to say hateful things about other groups and other people with inside my own group. It became natural for me to develop this language that was not from God. The jealousies that I would see within churches. The jealousy that I would see in members. And how we've seen fights in churches over the dumbest things imaginable. And so half of us have been in them. We've seen fights over the dumbest things imaginable. I saw a fist fight in a church because of the temperature of the air. Some of y'all are like, I get it. No. <laughs> fights in the church about the dumbest things imaginable. I've been in elders meetings. Not here, to be honest with you. And I'm, I need to throw that out there so I don't get called in. But I... No, in all honesty, it's been a blessing for me here because I have been in elders' meetings in the past where I remember sitting there thinking, man, if your wives saw the way you were acting in this room right now, and if this congregation knew how you were treating one another and acting in this room right now, they would walk out the doors. They'd be embarrassed because of how we are behaving. So my prayer for Meadowlark for God's church today, and I want to kind of close with this prayer, and then we're going we're to baptize Jake into Christ. But my prayer is this, that we would remain, we would grow in our maturity in our faith, but we would maintain that joy and that purity and that devotion that we had when we first made our vows, when we first gave our life to Christ, that we won't allow corruption to come in in any way in our life. And if it's from within, that we would learn the maturity of forgiving sin And if there's sin to forgive this morning, I pray that you would forgive it. And then secondly, if there's something that is corrupt, that is unhealthy, that could destroy the faith of some, that we would stand up and call it for what it is. We would withdraw from it, have nothing to do with it. And that's what Paul is calling Corinth to do. Uh, My prayer is that um, every single one of us would have a very secret and beautiful walk with God where we are praying a whole lot in secret. We are giving a whole lot in secret. Fasting in secret. And that devotion to God, that I'm in love with this God, that even my wife, nobody, not even the closest people, can get this, that remains intact through my life, and that nothing touches it. Um, My prayer is that that would be true of you, and that God would wage war um, for each of us. And I wanted to close with that verse because this is like God put this on my heart as an amazing victory verse in light of a very dark chapter. And 1 John 3, 8, it says this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Satan has plans. He's a deceiver and he's a divider. And he actually is a long-term thinker. But Christ is beautiful because he destroys Satan's work in our lives and in the church. And he is powerful among us. Uh, Father, I just want to come before you. And um, I, I guess in our own way, we're living out the same struggles that the Corinthians were going through. And I just pray, God, for your wisdom that we would discern that, that man is not our enemy. Uh, that we have a higher enemy and a darker enemy.
Uh, God, but I pray that we would be bold and uh, that we would be more bold in our forgiveness and that we'd also be more bold in rejecting what does not belong to you and uh, that we would continue to cultivate sincere and pure devotion uh, that God, that the same humble spirit would somehow be in me and would be in our elderly and those that heard, have been around the church for a long time, that we would maintain the same purity and humility that we had when we were young. Um, I praise you for what you're doing in this body. And I praise you that we are not today where we were. And I praise you that I know we're not going to be tomorrow what we are today. That you will carry us into growth. And I want to lift up Jake to you right now. And I love you so much for everything that's happened in so many hearts, especially at camp. And I just pray, God, that um, you will bless him. Uh, Give his life to you. And I thank you for your spirit that is so evident here. It's in Christ we come before you. Amen. Let's stand and worship our God together.